When I was a student at the University of Illinois, I was involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And InterVarsity was a wonderful avenue for me to grow in Christ, to be uh, discipled, to be able to disciple others, to learn what it meant to serve, uh, what it meant to share my faith, and then also even to learn a few principles of leadership. At the time, there was just one InterVarsity group on campus at Illinois. It was a fairly sizable group, and they had uh, each year they would identify a person who would be the president of InterVarsity, and it was a little bit like uh, the, uh, a secretive thing like the selection of a pope, you know. I don't know. It was weird. I didn't know quite how that worked. But for whatever reason, uh, in my senior year at Illinois, I was uh, uh, asked to be the president of InterVarsity. There was another student there on campus, a friend of mine, who felt that he should have been the person who was picked to be president. And as a result of that, um, it, things got a little weird. Um, things that I would propose that over our three years of relating to one another, he would have been all for. Uh, now, we met up with some degree of difficulty and, and kind of, it was surprising. It, it surprised me how that worked. And mind you, this person was a truly devoted follower of Jesus. He loved Jesus with all his heart. I don't know that I have ever met a person in my life who was more giving materially than he was. Just a, a wonderfully giving person. And yet, there was this thing that happened. Uh, I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18 where Paul, the Apostle Paul, experiences something similar. And here is what we will be identifying. Struggling well, which in this life, there's always going to be struggles. We've got to figure out how we do it well. Struggling well requires a focus on Christ and the gospel. Struggling well requires a focus on Christ and the gospel. In verses 1 through 11, we saw how folk, uh, struggling well requires uh, community, living in community with brothers and sisters in God's family. Today, struggling well requires a focus on Christ and the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, would you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having confidence, having become confident in the Lord to, uh, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Please have a seat. In verses 12 and 13, we're going to see that struggling well happens through what looks like defeat. I don't know about you, but I would guess that imprisonment would feel a little bit like defeat, don't you? I mean, here the Apostle Paul is trying to establish and build up churches all throughout the Roman world in the, in, in the Gentile regions, an apostle of the Gentile. He's imprisoned, confined, so that he can no longer do that mission. It looks, feels like defeat. Two years imprisoned at Caesarea, there's the shipwreck on his way to Rome, he gets to Rome, he's imprisoned there. It's kind of a house arrest where people are able to come and visit him and come and go, but he himself is being confined. Uh, And notice the many times here in this text that Paul mentions this imprisonment. He calls it in verse 12, what's happened to me, that is imprisonment. Verse 13, that my imprisonment is for Christ. The brothers become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, verse 14. Uh, Verse 16, I am put here, that's imprisonment for the defense of the gospel. Uh, Verse 17, they're thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. (laughs) That feels like a defeat, doesn't it? Notice that Paul does not call bad things good. He's not saying that imprisonment is a good thing. Christians ought to be realistic. There's some folks that just want to say, well, praise the Lord, it's all wonderful and bad things are actually good. No, he, he identifies bad things as bad things. But he does say that the bad things for me have led to an advance of the gospel. In fact, the adversity of imprisonment itself brought about unanticipated advances for the gospel. Are we ready to give up our own personal kingdoms for that kind of heart attitude? To say, you know, what happens to me, that my kingdoms, who cares? It's the advance of the gospel, that's what matters. That is struggling well through what looks like defeat. Verse 13 shows some ways that apparent defeat led to an advance of the gospel. Notice the end of the verse, verse 13, that my imprisonment is for Christ. That is that through all of the process of what looked like defeat, a clear message came through, loud and clear, Paul's imprisonment is for Christ. And let's not run past the word Christ here. It means anointed one. Uh, the, the king who comes and, and Paul acknowledges, my imprisonment is all about Christ, who he is, what he's done, the anointed king. I love how one commentator put it, Paul's imprisonment is as a man in Christ. 
In fact, the preposition that's used there is quite often translated, my imprisonment is in Christ. A clear message came through. Paul's imprisonment is all about Jesus Christ. Now, who got that message? Who received the message? Let's go back to the beginning of verse 13. First, the whole imperial guard. I want you to think of Paul's influence as a result of his imprisonment. The imperial guard were a cohort of soldiers that were assigned specifically to do duties identified by the emperor himself. And as a prisoner who had appealed specifically to the emperor, Paul was under the management of this imperial guard. That is, they were the ones that guarded him, kept care of him. Uh, Here's what one Bible encyclopedia tells about this imperial guard. When Augustus came to the throne in 27 BC, he established his general headquarters, his praetorium in Italy, and out of the veterans available organized a permanent corps or guard of nine cohorts of a thousand men each. To avoid suspicion of military despotism, only some of the troops were billeted in Rome, the others being stationed outside the city in various Italian towns. Because of their attendance on the emperor, these imperial guardsmen were rated as an elite corps. They served for 16 years and received three times the pay of a normal legionnaire. And they were also the recipients of frequent and large what were called donations. It just means bonuses. What Paul is saying here is that his imprisonment and being guarded, typically by four guys at a time, over the period of his imprisonment, has made it clear to the entire imperial guard that his imprisonment is for Jesus, the Messiah King. How long do you think when they changed uh, the soldiers to be looking after Paul uh, after the change of shift, how long do you figure it would take Paul to start talking about Jesus? Right? About five seconds. Hi, I'm Paul. I want to talk to you about Jesus, right? And he's got a captive audience. Not only is he imprisoned, but the ones who are watching him are captive to his message. And it's become known through the entire imperial guard that his, his imprisonment is in Christ. It's for Jesus Christ. It's to acknowledge there's another king. His name is Jesus, and he is the king of kings. Not only that, but as a result of the message going to the whole imperial guard, it says, to all the rest. All the rest of whom? Well, maybe it's all the rest of Roman soldiery, but I'm going to suggest that it's really became a pretty commonplace knowledge in the entire city of Rome, that Paul's imprisonment is all about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's think about some applications briefly. What are some defeats that have happened to you? Things that you just think, oh man, 
I really felt like I lost there. I'm not talking about, you know, defeats like you lose a game or something like that. I mean defeats in your life. Maybe it's something that has to do with job-related or marriage or uh, physical or even just difficulties with your uh, emotional well-being, defeats that have happened to you, people that have betrayed you. What are some of those defeats? Have you become stuck in allowing that defeat to define you? You know, Paul could have just said, well, here I am. I'm stuck on the shelf. I'm in prison. Can't do much. I'm supposed to be the apostle of the Gentiles, but here I am in prison. He did not allow that defeat of imprisonment to define him. One way to struggle well is to think more expansively. How might my defeat actually serve to advance the gospel? You see, having an advance the gospel orientation about life instead of a how can my life be more pleasant? <laughs> Having a how can I advance the gospel orientation will help you struggle well. If, on the other hand, you have an orientation that says, how can my life be more pleasant? Anything that becomes unpleasant will derail you. But if you have how can I advance the gospel orientation, anything that happens becomes an opportunity, an avenue for Christ to be proclaimed. What are some ways that your reach for the gospel has expanded in your life? May I share with you that often it is in those moments of personal defeat where you've learned to struggle well that you are able to advance the gospel more effectively than ever. It is through our weaknesses, through our difficulties, and even through our pain that we advance the good news of Jesus. Well, struggling well in defeat encourages others. Look with me at verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are um, <clears throat> much more bold to speak the word without fear. Most of the brothers. <laughs> Paul's realistic, isn't he? Uh, he knows that his experience is not going to impact everyone in the same good way, but he is so encouraged that his defeat has meant that most of the Christians around him, and by the way, the word brothers there I think means both brothers and sisters, most of those around him are growing in their speaking of the gospel. So that Paul's imprisonment has reached out to this imperial guard and then beyond, and that's caused other people in the Christian community there that Paul did not found, by the way, to be able to speak the word of God without fear, to be able to share their faith with others. It's emboldening them to share their faith. His defeat of imprisonment has led to a confidence in the Lord on the part of others. A defeat that leads to confidence. How does that happen? Well, one way is that you, when you meet with a defeat, it gives you clarity on what is really important 
And it gives you freedom that comes from a clear sense of purpose. It's easy to get foggy about our purpose in this life, and getting the wake-up call of something like imprisonment of Paul got other people on track about what they're supposed to be doing. Paul's chains convince others to do what they should have been doing all along. These brothers and sisters are much more bold. The boldness is to speak the Word. What Word? Well, the Word is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. They are becoming much more bold to speak boldness that there's one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Boldness to say that the Father has sent His Son into the world to save us from our sins, and whoever will trust in Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins, believing in His death to pay for sin, and believing in His bodily resurrection as proof that He is who He claimed to be, that person will receive from God eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And there's no other way to be forgiven or to have eternal life than by this King, Jesus. That's what they became bold about. Not bold about their political opinions about the emperor. Not bold about a COVID opinion. Not even primarily a condemnation of sin, though it involves that. Instead, these brothers and sisters are much more bold to speak the word without fear, the gospel. As long as we are trying to save our lives, we will lack confidence and boldness to speak the word without fear. As long as we're worried about what other people think, as long as we are wanting to hold on to our kingdoms, we will lack confidence. We will lack boldness to speak the Word of God without fear. But once you give up saving your life, you will discover a clarity of purpose and confidence to speak that Word, the gospel, without fear. I don't need to tell you that we live in a time of great intimidation. At some point, we're going to need to stop worrying about how what we say or think will affect our jobs or careers. Likely, that will not happen until we see others pay a huge price. Once we see that, like Paul's church family in Rome, we too will be emboldened to speak the word without fear. There is a release, a victory that happens when we meet with defeat. All of a sudden, we're not trying to save our own lives anymore. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was a kid, my dad told me this story. Uh, he was driving to work, and he prayed this prayer. Lord, if there's any way you can get me out of this job, do it. He gets into work, and the boss says, Bob, would you mind coming into my office for a second? Goes into the office. The boss uh, starts crying. He says, I, we've, we've just got to let you go. It's, there's some circumstances that meant that we've got to reduce our force and we've got to let you go. I'm so sorry. My dad 
is just rejoicing. He's like, he's like, I gotta tell you what happened. On the way to work, I was praying. If there's any way, God, you can get me out of this job, do it. And you're God's instrument. And he talked to him about the gospel. And don't know that the guy trusted Christ, but he was deeply moved by my dad's experience of the release of not trying to save your life. He wouldn't have gone in and quit because he's got mouths to feed. There's things he's got to protect and save. But once released from that, there was a confidence in the Lord to speak the word without fear. We see examples all around us of people who give up saving their own lives and quite often for causes that are not as great as the gospels. Some of them are even evil causes. Whenever this happens, even for things that are far less than the gospel or even are wrong, that movement will advance. People have devoted their lives to Marxism and we see the movement advance. The Black Lives Matter movement of last summer, ardent environmentalists, people in history like Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King for civil rights, or our own founding fathers of this nation have all counted their lives as forfeit for causes, good or bad, great or small. They have given their lives for causes, and that has led to a boldness that's changed the world. Christians have been passive for a long time. And sadly, I think we see Christians getting more excited and energized about politics or COVID or economics than they are about speaking the word without fear. If we are to struggle well, we need not only to give up our own passive attitudes, we need to make sure we get excited about the right thing, <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in verses 15 through 18, struggling well in defeat creates unpleasant surprises and a pleasant end. You know, once we are freed to be able to struggle well with uh, the defeats that we meet up with. It doesn't mean that once we get energized and bold and confident about the right thing, we no longer have any struggles. I'm not trying to teach you that here's the way to avoid struggle. I'm trying to teach you struggling well, right? <laughs> There's no end to struggles in this life. In fact, when we struggle well with defeats in our lives by becoming fearless about our faith, that in itself will create other unpleasant surprises. Believe it or not, the unpleasant surprises may come from some other genuine believers in Jesus. They're genuine believers here in verse 15. Paul views them as genuine believers. They preach Christ. They have the gospel correct. They are not distorters of the gospel. In Galatians and other letters of Paul, he describes people who are distorters of the gospel, and he says things like, let them be accursed, right? So he's not identifying this group that's being addressed here in verses 15 through 17 as opponents to the gospel or distorters of the gospel. They're genuinely proclaiming Christ, 
And he treats these guys very differently than the guys addressed in Galatians. But their motivation is messed up, isn't it? Even though they're believers, even though they have the message correct, their motivation is to proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry. They envy Paul's influence. They perceive him, verse 15, as a rival in life. And that word rival has a connotation of strife or contention. Verse 17, their ambition, their motivation is selfish ambition. I want to make a little bit of a bunny trail here to say that I'm, I read from the English Standard Version, and you need to know that the English Standard Version has continual updates, and they don't let you know when it's been updated. So if you have an older ESV, you'll read in verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry instead of selfish ambition. It's actually a different word than the word rivalry in verse 15, so I think they've made a good correction in changing it to selfish ambition, but if you have an ESV and you're reading it and says, wait a minute, Scott said selfish ambition, and I, my Bible says rivalry, it's because they updated the version, okay? End of bunny trail. The fact is, the motivation of these guys is selfish ambition. It carries a sense of partisanship, of party. They are for themselves. And by the way, whenever any Christian becomes popular, there will be other Christians who will try to knock them down. I don't know why that is, but it just happens. So, for example, someone may write a best-selling book, and it just is really just knocking it off the shelves. Sooner or later, there will be another book or books published that will be saying why book number one is an evil, rotten book and you ought to avoid it at all costs. And sometimes, both the book and the critiques are published by the same publishing house. <laughs> it's, it's just an odd thing about Christians there's strife and contention that can be involved, a motive of selfish ambition. Despite proclaiming the gospel accurately, these guys here are not sincere in their proclamation. Rather, their motivation is that by their proclamation, they would afflict Paul in his imprisonment, somehow making his imprisonment a more difficult experience. Now, You'll notice that in verses 15 through 17, Paul begins by talking about these people who are doing it out of rivalry, and he ends with the people doing it out of selfish ambition, the same group. But in the middle, he has two sentences about others. And he's really focusing by doing it, ordering it that way, bad, good, good, bad. He's, he's doing it to draw your attention to the good guys. He's saying others are preaching Christ from goodwill. They do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. He's focusing on the positive. They do it, these guys, because he was put here, this imprisonment, for the defense of the gospel. Here's some ways that we should take this principle of struggling well in defeat creates unpleasant circumstances and a pleasant end into application. It should come as no surprise to us. 
when fellow believers, genuine believers, are at odds with us or even see us as rivals or are envious. Becoming a believer does not immediately translate into a clear understanding that God's kingdom is more important than our kingdoms. People are still chasing around their own kingdoms. In fact, become a believer sometimes translates into that person equating their kingdom with God's so that what they're doing, they think, is God's kingdom. It should not shock us to see even those in ministry as having a me mentality. Paul, however is remarkable for his absence of that sentiment. He's all about the gospel, and if we're going to struggle well, we need to struggle well by focusing on Christ and the gospel. We need to keep clear when to regard someone as a friend with whom we disagree and when to regard someone as an enemy because they're an enemy of the gospel. Friend or enemy, we treat all people with respect and dignity, right? However, with disagreeing friends, we can rejoice at their successes, and we can rejoice at the progress of the gospel as a result of God's work through them. We shouldn't feel this sense of frustrated distance. With enemies of the gospel, however, We must expose the issues of gospel integrity, warning people to stay clear of such false doctrine. Sadly, our present Christian world seems to be going one pole or the other of an extreme. Either we seem to regard all with whom we disagree as enemies, making mountains out of every molehill, or we regard nothing as worth the clear proclamation that someone is preaching a false gospel. It seems to me that we ought to have a little bit more nuance than that. We should, like Paul, keep the emphasis on the friends who are with us more than on the folks who are at odds with us. Notice how Paul ends this section. What then? Only that in every way... Whether there's false motives or true ones, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. He focuses on that. Yes, and I will rejoice, struggling well because of a focus on Christ and the gospel. We must keep the end in view, brothers and sisters. Whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached. If an accurate gospel message is going out, the fact that there's rivalry or envy should be of little consequence to us. Who is it in God's family who has the gospel correct? Are you feeling a rivalry or an impure motive right now? If there is, lay it aside. Rejoice in the gospel. The expectations that we have for fellow believers are sometimes too high. We expect people to be purely motivated 100% of the time. None of the expectations we have are often too low. We discount sin in those that are part of our crew that we love deeply. 
have one last application. Struggling well requires a focus on Christ and the gospel. We sang, I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory. I fear sometimes for some believers, the only time they will ever tell the story will be in glory. (laughs) No, no, no. This life should be a rehearsal where we're telling the story over and over to as many people as we can to tell everyone about Jesus and His love for us. Out in the long hallway, there are still some uh, s'more bags for you to be able to meet with your neighbors and connect with them around s'mores, developing conversation and relationship with your neighbors to the end that you can prayerfully be able to share of the hope you have in Jesus someday. I would encourage you to pick one of those up and and think about why you're here. (laughs) And then there's a display of gospel literature, gospel tracts, specifically for Halloween. Think of it. Scores, perhaps even hundreds of people coming to your door asking you for something. Now, don't just give them those stupid peanut butter chewies that are worthless. You know? Give them really good candy. I mean the best, right? And give them also the gospel of Christ. Share the hope you have. Be a smiler and a welcomer. Be a person that your neighborhood will go, we got to go to that house, right? And that they don't just see that you give good candy. They see Jesus in you. So it's become known throughout, not an imperial guard, but through the whole neighborhood that you are for and in Christ. Many years ago now, after the Iron Curtain fell in the Soviet Union, there was a, um, a remarkable event that happened. Uh, there was a team that went to Stavropol, Russia, to hand out Bibles And a local person said, well, you know, there's a warehouse full of Bibles over here. The Bibles had been confiscated back in the 1930s by Stalin when he carted off a whole bunch of Christians to the prison camps in in Siberia. Amazingly enough, as a result of communist bureaucracy, the Bibles were still there. Among those who showed up to load them into trucks to be able then to distribute these old Bibles back out into the community was a young agnostic student who was just wanting to earn a day's wage. They'd hired him to haul Bibles out of the warehouse and load them into the truck. But soon he slipped away to steal a Bible. A team member went looking for him and found him sitting in a corner weeping. Out of the hundreds or perhaps thousands of Bibles there, it just so happened that he picked up one 
that bore the handwritten signature of his grandmother. Persecuted for her faith, she no doubt had prayed often for her family, for her city, perhaps for generations yet unborn. And God used that grandmother's confiscated Bible to reach a young man with the gospel of Christ. We throw out seed. God gathers the harvest. Struggling well means proclaiming Christ and the gospel. Heavenly Father, we'd ask today that you may stir our hearts for Christ and the gospel. There are many things that we get agitated about that we make as uh, points of emphasis in our lives. Help us to shed those compared to knowing and proclaiming Christ. Lord, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who's never put their faith and hope in Jesus, would you awaken them to this truth right now? That their sin separates them from you? But you have good news for them. Whoever turns away from their sin and turns toward you, believing in what your son Jesus did at the cross to pay for sin, believing in what he did to forgive them, will be forgiven of their sin and will have eternal life. O oh Lord, cause people to believe the gospel today. And Lord, help us not to focus on the defeats of our lives or on the unexpected surprises that come our way when we are able to overcome those defeats, even from members of your family. But instead, may our focus ever be Christ and the gospel. And this week, may you move and motivate us in such a way that we would make Jesus our King known. In his wonderful name we pray. Amen.